0: Good evening everyone, if we could turn our Bibles to Revelation chapter 2, Revelation chapter 2. Verses 1 to verse 5. Revelation 2, verses 1 to 5. Unto the angel of the church of Ephesus write These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience. And how thou canst not bear them which are evil, and thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not, and hast found them liars, and hast borne, and hast patience, and for my name's sake hast labored, and hast not fainted. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Remember therefore from whence thou art fallen, and repent and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we give thanks for this time, this week, this day, Lord, that you've prepared for us to serve you in this place. We thank you, Lord, for all the opportunities for us to do that, that you are a God that needs no hands to, to be glorified, needs no hands to be served, Lord, but you allow us to be put into this position, to be a part of your kingdom, to be a part of uh, your your works, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for this time ahead of us, that you would use your word, Lord, to challenge our hearts and to help us to be more like you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. The title of my message is Serving in Sincerity. The Church of Ephesus has received, as we read, a few things from God. I I see three things. I see a recognition. There's a recognition of what they have done, their works, their labor, their patience, the things that they could not stand. Heresy, deeds of the Nicolaitans, bad interpretation of God's word, probably. And these things God recognized. But following that was a rebuke. Verse 5. So, verse 4. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. They were recognized, they were rebuked, and God gave them a ruling. In verse 5, in what to do to correct themselves. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works. Or else I will come unto thee quickly and will remove thy candlestick out of his place except thou repent this is just the first church of the seven that are listed in this in this chapter but if you have a look at the letter to Ephesians there doesn't seem to be much resemblance to how they ended up this way. There's a lot of encouragement. There's a lot of instruction. There's also equipping of the armour of God, if you remember in uh, Ephesians chapter 6. But in no way is there any sign or Pattern of what they would end up doing in what we just read. What we can conclude from this is that sometimes we can physically do something that is right and physically do all the things that are right, but still miss the mark. Mm -hmm. If we compare Ephesians in the letter that we have in our Bibles that Paul writes with the passage that we just read in Revelation, as we said, has very little resemblance. It's like the letter to the Ephesians was written to a child. You give a child a lot of instructions. You give them a lot of equipment. You equip them. You give them the things that they need to grow. And that's quite obvious, as that was the very first growth of the church. In Acts, as we can see, that it makes sense for these, this church to receive all this encouragement and instruction. So Ephesians a letter looks like a child getting ready to grow. But if we compare that to this passage in Revelation, it's as if they've become a teenager, or fully grown even. That they have received all the instructions and actually they have done well in the recognition that we've read. But somewhere along the way, they've forgotten something. Something happened between, let's say, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 24, to Revelation chapter 2. The question is, what did happen? I'm not going to answer that because I don't know. (laughs) But we can learn something. So a curious verse that I found in Ephesians that we've probably all seen is Ephesians chapter 6 verse 24 if we can turn there. It's the last verse of the whole letter. Ephesians 6 verse 24 says grace be with all them that love our lord jesus christ in sincerity who's paul writing to this same church who's he describing this same church and if you want to try and prove me wrong this name this title is not found in any other letter The name, the title, Them That Love Our Lord Jesus Christ in Sincerity. The only church, the only letter, the only group of people that have been privileged with being called those that love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity is only given to the Ephesians so we see that they have what it takes to be a church to be a group to be a family that would continue or should continue to be faithful in their walk in their growth in their ministry But again, it is confusing or uncertain as to what happened. Now, we can blame Paul. We can say, uh, probably, Paul, you didn't really give them enough instruction. You could have warned them that one day that they would leave their first love that they would serve God but yet not have a heart in that service. We could blame Paul, but there are verses that Paul uses and Paul has given to prepare them for a time when their love could grow cold. There are three ye were, Ye as in you and were as in you were. Once. In Ephesians. We'll have a look at them. First one is in chapter 2 verse 12. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 12. It says that at that time Ye were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. It doesn't say you don't have Christ right now. It says there was a time where you were without Christ. And that is true for all of us. There was a time where... We were without Christ. Now, to take it further, we were also once aliens. Now, I'm talking about you and me, unless there's a Jewish person here. But if we hear about aliens and the alien invasion coming, it already has come. Why? Because we were the aliens. Aliens to what? Aliens, or strangers, to God's promises. That if the Jews at that time of the New Testament received their Messiah, we would have no place. I came not but to the lost sheep of Israel. That we were not part of any of those tribes, we were not part of that nation, But by God's grace, we have been able to be provided that salvation. Once aliens, once strangers, once without Christ. And also in verse 13 of the same chapter, but it says, But now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. Let us not forget that we were once afar off. But whose fault is that? We were once afar off because God didn't want us? Because God didn't provide a way for us? We were once afar off because of our own fault, our own rebellion, our own sin. So verse 12, you were without Christ. Verse 13, you were far off. Verse, uh, chapter 5, verse 8. says, For ye were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. You were without Christ, and now we were once darkness, that there was a time where there was no righteousness that you could provide for yourself to offer to God, no matter how hard you tried, all you could offer was darkness. Darkness. All you could offer was sin. All you could offer was unrighteousness and dirty rags. But it says, now are ye light. What is Paul trying to say? He's trying to remind these Ephesians that you came from somewhere. You didn't just enter into the kingdom, enter into God's church, enter into God's family, without something happening, without something changing. But yet, Revelation says, thou hast left thy first love. Paul gave all that he could for them in this letter. That there is no blame upon Paul, no blame upon God. It is the fault of the Christian the believer, who receives all the truth that they need for them then to turn away into themselves and away from God. This idea of love being in our service, as in serving God, it's made clear in First Corinthians chapter 13, don't have to turn there but if we remember people call it the love chapter but it starts off with a few instruments being listed that if those that prophesy or speak in tongues gifts that are profitable supposedly profitable for the church what does it say? If they don't do those things With charity or with love, it sounds like a sounding brass. It sounds like a tinkling cymbal. What does it produce? It produces nothing. It profiteth nothing. That instruments and tools, the things that we use, they're meant to help us. They're meant to make life easy. They're, me- they're meant to keep us from hurting ourselves. But if they're not used correctly, if they are not used, as it says in 1 Corinthians, with charity or with love, then they are Useless. Serving in sincerity. What does sincerity mean? Sincerity, I looked in the dictionary, means honesty of mind or intention without hypocrisy. Honesty of mind or intention without hypocrisy. They that love our Lord Jesus Christ and love him in sincerity another question might be how does the practical outworking be, be be seen how do we see this work in our lives we'll stick with ephesians and we'll turn to ephesians 5 verse 22 These are some areas that we can serve the Lord in. Now, when we think about serving the Lord, we might think about what we see or have seen happening today in the song leader, in the announcements, in the ushering. If we take it further, in the cleaning up, vacuuming, taking care of the rubbish sweeping, all these things you could say is serving God, serving the Lord. But there are many other areas that we tend to neglect. We serve the Lord in the home. So chapter 5, verse 22, it says, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the saviour of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. (coughs) The two things that... The the one thing that the wife is supposed to do and the one thing that the husband is supposed to do is usually the very thing that is the hardest to do. What What is the wife supposed to do? Submit. What is the husband supposed to do? Love. Usually, it's easier the other way around. It's more natural for the husband to submit to the wife. If we look back into Genesis and how Adam and Eve turned things around, even then, that was a start of a degradation of what marriage was supposed to be. And on the flip side, the wife finds it easy to love the husband but sometimes it's not as easy for the husband to love their wife, especially when you give this condition, as Christ also loved the church. And it explains how, by dying for it. So there's a way in which husbands and wives can serve God, and that's not in the church, it is at home. Chapter 6 says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee, and thou mayest live long on the earth. And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Still in the home, this is for you children. And I'm still a child to my parents. There is honour that is due them. That this is probably the first ministry for you children. Before you take up an instrument, before you take up a Bible reading, before you preach at your fellow Sunday schoolers? Are you submitting to your parents? It says, for this is right. So the home is a place where all of us can serve the Lord. Another place that we can serve the Lord is in the church. Start in chapter 4, verse 1. Says, says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord beseech you that ye walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called, with all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavouring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, even as ye are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. And further down, it has a list of gifts that are given to the church. Verse 11, And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for what? For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That is our communal goal. That is our goal as a body. That is our goal as a family. To see each other grow and reach what the measure and the stature of the fullness of Christ. There is serving in the home, there is serving in the church, there is also serving in your work. So chapter 6, it says, servants, sorry, verse 5, servants, be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling, in singleness of your heart as unto Christ. Not with eye service, as men pleases, but as the servant of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, with good will doing service, as to the Lord and not to men. You can serve the Lord in your family, you can serve the Lord in church, but you can also serve the Lord in your work. Uh, We were talking about that this morning, about how people tend to separate their spiritual life from their work life, but there's no sign of that in the Bible. There's no sign of you doing your own thing out there while you do your pious religious acts in here. You're meant to be the same out there as you are in here. Especially here, it says, under your masters in the flesh. Those servants that are written there about having eye service and men pleasers, they've developed a behavior and a spirit that has only been accepted in the workplace. They've done only what is enough for them to keep their job. They've done only enough to continue to be paid. But it says... Are they just to serve the masters as masters? No. It says they were to serve their masters as to the Lord. That there is a God behind your work that is waiting for you to serve Him, and it's not just this serving is not just in the church; it is at home, and it is in the workplace. And lastly, in the, in, in the world, chapter 6, verse 19. says, And for me, that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly, to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in bonds, that there, therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. That the gospel isn't for... The family. The message of hope isn't just for the family. Paul asked as a prayer request that he would speak boldly to what? To the churches or to the people that are in the world. Is that something that we can serve the Lord in? We can serve the Lord when we're not here, when we're amongst people who don't believe God, how do we serve the Lord there? We tell them about God. We're tempted to be quiet and to keep our religion to ourself. But that's exactly what the devil wants. May we pray, let's pray that we May speak boldly as we ought in our service to God. So, the Ephesians, as we read, received recognition from the Lord for their service. Their service, as we just read, in these areas of life, which encompasses pretty much everything. Yet, there is still a rebuke for them. There is still a notch against them. There is still something that is lacking. If we go back to Revelations chapter 2, hear of the final ruling for them in verse 5 says remember therefore from whence thou art fallen and repent and do the first works or else I will come unto thee quickly and will remove thy candlestick out of his place except thou repent God asks them because of what you've done first thing is to remember Remember where thou art fallen. Remember from where thou art fallen. There is a place for us when we have walked astray, not done things according to a good heart towards God, the first thing that God asks us to do is to remember, is to notice, is to see. And after remembering, it says, to repent. Remember therefore from whence thou art fallen and repent. To ask for forgiveness, to seek God's face, to acknowledge and to confess. And lastly, it says, and do the first works. Do you remember what you did when you first got saved? When you first acknowledged and saw God's love for you? You see Christians that are new joining discipleship being on time not missing any meetings could that be us? when we first experienced God's love, how much fervor did we have? How much enthusiasm did we have? How much single-heartedness, single-mindedness did we have? That's how it was for us. First works. God gives an ultimatum. But if you don't do this, what will he do? It says in the end of verse 5, I will come unto thee quickly and will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. Yes, this candlestick is a symbol. You can make it what you want it to be. But if I read in Revelation chapter 11, if we can turn there quickly, Revelation chapter 11, verses 3 and 4, it's talking about the two witnesses. And I will give power unto my two witnesses, and they shall prophesy a thousand two hundred and threescore days, clothed in sackcloth. These are the two olive trees, and the two candlesticks standing before the God of the earth. There is a connection between the candlestick and being a witness. If we also look in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 8. We've read this verse before. It says, For ye were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Mm-hmm. And verses 10 in that same chapter, it reads, Proving what is acceptable unto the Lord, and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. For it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret." But all things that are reproved are made manifest by the light. For whatsoever doth make manifest is light. And one more verse in Matthew 14, verse 16. the verses. I'll just read the verse, the reference might be a mistake there. It says, Ye are the light of the world, a city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. What is under threat? What is the thing that God is almost taking away or about to take away from the Ephesians is their witness. You could say this witness is their effectiveness their usefulness their profitability there is something that the church has that if it does if it does it according to a sincere heart a heart with the first love in mind that church is profitable that church is effective that church is useful What can cause us to be insincere in our service for the Lord? We may think about a lot of things, but I think one that we face is comfort. The feeling and the circumstance that we need not God. Why? Because we have everything we need. If we think about this church, you're sitting on comfortable pews, air conditioning, winter, summer, heating, cooling. But if we think about the missionaries, the Lewises, walking into airstrikes, The Portillos, not having shelter for, what was it a hundred children, yeah. in <laughs> in the season of rain. Yeah. The Keshe, brother Kish, facing persecution over how he deals with his children. Yeah. Do you think these guys pray? Yeah. Do you think they need God in these circumstances? There are churches who don't have chairs. Churches who don't have shelter. Churches who don't have workers. The Weemers who once only had their family walk in and walk out every Sunday. I think they're praying. Could it be that we don't pray or we don't seek God we don't cry out to God we don't have a sincere heart for him because we're comfortable the answer isn't to sell all you have and give to the poor but it's to repent it's to say and remember your first love first works first love the first love that we have with god we could argue it's not just about sequence it's not about okay i i came to my 16th age of life and there i met the Lord Jesus. And from that time on, he was my first love. It probably is a measure of prominence. Mm-hmm. If God was your first love in sequence, then what could follow? Your second love. Or your third love. But if God is your first love in prominence, in importance, then that's easy to see whether there's anything else that is trying to take God's place. Could it be, Christian, that our influence, that our effect has been taken away because we have left our first love. How do we serve in sincerity? We repent, we remember, we repent, and we do. Why do we do these things? So that our potency And God's power in our life will not be taken away. Because that is what he entrusts us with. That is why you are here, that is why you are in this world. To be a light, to be a sign, to be God's power in this world. That there are enough impotent Christians already in this world you do not put him first and we pray that we are not sacrificing what God has entrusted us with for comfort. I'll pray and pass